This is The Politics of Everything, and I'm your host, Amber Danes. Welcome to the podcast where we want to discuss the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment to equality, and much more. Our guests are experts in their field or topic of choice, even if you've not yet heard their name. This is a bipartisan podcast, so while we love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate, by no means is this a one-sided forum for any one political view. So please listen up and enjoy the politics of everything. Welcome to episode 14 of the politics of everything. Today I have Peter Mastroni discussing the politics of rent vesting, which, if you're not familiar with it, is a very modern term encapsulating where you rent, where you want to live, and invest where you can afford. In Australia, where capital city medium house prices have continued to rise by up to 20% a year for the past few years, rent vesting can certainly be a great way to get into the market and potentially leave you better off in the long term. However, we need to understand the pitfalls and the pluses because we are a nation obsessed by home ownership. Peter has his own business called Rent Vesting, which includes a podcast and webinars and offers advice for clients keen to get into the property sector in a less traditional way. Let's find out a little bit more. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Amber. Thanks for having me on. Great to uh, discuss this. Obviously, Australia is a place we are kind of obsessed with home ownership and the idea that one day we're all going to have our own house, we own it, no mortgage in our adult lifetime. But for many people in perhaps my generation and upcoming generations like my kids, it's pretty much becoming a thing of the past. Can you explain briefly why this is the case? Uh, more recently, there's probably two main contributing factors. One is interest rates have been very cheap. They're at historically low levels. And uh, in a number of property markets nationally, there's really a, a supply problem as well. And those two factors, I personally believe, have been uh, a pretty potent draw card for investors. I guess a number of individuals just saw it as too good of an opportunity over the past few years to to actually invest, particularly in a market like Sydney or, or Melbourne that, as you said, has experienced 20% year-on-year growth. It's been pretty incredible. So I think it's probably more of a, an economics 101 on, in terms of demand versus has really outstripped supply. And while Sydney has been a bit of a market darling, Perth and Adelaide, Darwin have actually declined over that same period of time. Brisbane's on everyone's radar. Brisbane's, you know, expected to, to pop, but, you know, we're waiting with bated breath on, on that. And, and Melbourne's still charging ahead. So look, I personally believe the idea of owning a home outright in your lifetime isn't actually a thing of the past. What I believe is that the market parameters have, have certainly changed and the traditional home ownership model is is certainly changing as well, which is probably why more people are, are gravitating towards an investment strategy like rent vesting in order to have comfort and, and security in, in their life as well. Absolutely. So I guess, you know, the term rent vesting, I only heard of it a few years ago when I actually became a rent vester. How did it originate and, and really in a nutshell, how does it work? Uh, I think a few people will probably try and put their hands up to grab the, the actual terminology in terms of its originations. But uh, 
I know the Daily Telegraph probably may have been one of the, the first to actually coin the term and other property investment specialists that uh, are active in the marketplace have been talking about it as an investment strategy for a little while and I own the domain and in the trademark but behind the term. Lucky you, that's, that's got to be worth something. Oh, maybe one day we'll see. But look, the actual investment strategy has been in existence for for quite a long time. I think it's just the word has been become a bit of a buzzword, and it's something that's been trending for probably around about eighteen months or, or so. And I, I think maybe why it started to trend is that you know there's in the past there's been this stigma that renting is only for the poor. And, you know, we're brought up to believe that rent money is actually dead money, yet we're never actually educated on how expensive owning your own home actually is. You know, no one ever calculates the interest that they actually pay on their loans. No one even considers the fact that your home as an asset, it doesn't actually produce any income. So you're completely reliant on the maintenance and the upkeep and the mortgage out of your own pocket in the hope that someday it's actually going to appreciate in value. So very simply, rent vesting as an investment strategy allows you to do the heavy lifting or, or the investment strategy does that lifting for you. And it's really just live where you would actually prefer to live for, for your own lifestyle benefits and invest where you can afford. Absolutely. No, that does actually make sense. I guess it's just a psychological barrier for, for a lot of people who, like you say, have grown up with perhaps a more traditional model or that idea of I'd love to be able to, you know, put my own stamp in my place and decorate it how I want and all that sort of thing. And in some ways, I suppose, are there any statistics around how many rent vesters there are in Australia at this time? Amber, not that I've been able to dig up. I'm certainly keen to know that information for myself. I do know uh, in some more recent publications and studies that have come out towards the back end of last year, there was one, the Domain Insights series, which actually suggested that the average age of an Australian property investor is now 34 years old and that the average age that a Gen Y becomes a property investor is actually 25, which is in stark contrast to the baby boomers who didn't become property investors until they were 45 years of age. So I think just in that age difference there that the, you can see the dynamic of the shift that's actually taking place in the marketplace because the baby boomers would have pursued the traditional route, bought their principal place of residence and built up enough equity to then go on and purchase their investment property or, or build up their portfolio where a younger generation is now just deciding to invest first before going down that route. And there's been some facts and figures that are coming out of some lenders. The NAB, they publish a, a quarterly residential property survey. And one of the more recent ones found that first home investors actually made up over 12% of all new property sales in the previous quarter of 2016 or the last quarter of 2016. And that was up from 11.1%, uh, I believe, on the previous quarter. And it also found that... Okay, so so that it, there are some shifts, aren't there? I mean, it's certainly not. Like you say, I mean, I remember when we were looking to purchase originally, you felt like it was you know, a lot of older people who, yes, for them, it's just an investment. It's not somewhere they want to make their home. But the trend seems to be that it is a way for younger people to get that first step. Yeah. So whilst we don't actually know at this point in time how many rent investors are, are out in the marketplace, the data is certainly indicating that a younger generation is purchasing investment property at a much earlier stage within their life and they're actually accumulating more of it. 
on the basis that these stats are, are showing us that Gen Y, 22% of, of Gen Ys actually own at least one investment property, despite the concerns around housing affordability. And that's, you know, in comparison to uh, 20% of Gen Xs, I believe, and, and 19% of the baby boomers. So despite all the hoo-ha about housing affordability, people are actually actively out in the market and are doing so at quite a young age. That's very interesting. I certainly wasn't thinking about that at 25. I have to say it was all fun. Um, I've reinvested myself. I, I am Gen X. Look, it makes great financial sense, but I have to admit, I live in Sydney. I have two children who one's yep. at school and one's at preschool. We moved three times in 18 months and we pretty much had had enough. So we've actually moved into one of our former investment properties six months ago. And look, I've rented for most of my adult life, I have to say, having lived overseas and so forth where that's more common. Look, it sounds like a great model for people who are maybe young and don't mind that. But certainly, is that how do you weigh up whether it's worth it for you in terms of, you know, not everyone's going to find a long-term rental in Sydney? Very true. It's about choice. Rent vesting may not be suitable for everyone. I have a young family myself and whilst I'm renting at, at the moment, I hate the idea of having to pack up and having to move again, but it's kind of the, the nature of the beast and I actually want to continue to, to rent first for the flexibility that it actually provides to myself personally, but that's a personal choice that my wife and I have actually decided to make. I guess there's nothing stopping you from trying to negotiate longer leases if that is actually possible, but yeah. I think it's important to put it into consideration of the overall picture of what you're actually trying to have in your, in your life at this point in time, which may mean that rent vesting isn't actually suitable for you. Sure. And I suppose the other challenges, I mean, what we personally found, and I think a lot of other families that uh, have done rent vesting for a while and perhaps do continue to in some capacity is, you know, the idea that uh, people say they buy the investment property, they rent it to you. Oh, yes, it's long-term. And of course, their intention is to move in themselves after a certain period of time. So I think the system in some ways is set up so that, you know, as a renter, you always do feel a little bit more vulnerable in that sense. That's true. And there's um, there's momentum gathering from particular lobbyist groups to see some changes actually implemented to give the renter a, a lot more rights up front during that process. But, you know, the government's looking to relax regulation as opposed to bringing more in. So that could be something that uh, could take some time to unwind. Absolutely. I do think it's a cultural shift too. Like you say, renting always traditionally felt like, oh, that's something you only do for a while. But I mean, as I said, I've rented most of my adult life and it's actually been great. Flexibility is good, but I guess I guess it depends on your strategy for investment as well. Talking about comfortable lifestyles and given that looks different for all of us, how do you actually work with clients on their own property strategy? Uh, so personally, my background is is finance. So I work with my clients from a money coaching and a lending perspective. I have a team of property mentors that that work within rent vesting that spend the the majority of their time with their mentees, I guess, to, trying to understand what their values and their motivations are to map out that their property plan and and reverse engineer it in terms of working with end result in in mind. So a lot of people will come to us and say that they're looking to buy 10 properties in 10 years, which is wow. awesome, you know, good for you. Yeah. Um, but that's hard. kind of a – yeah, but that's an idealistic goal that they have in mind and they don't know why they want to buy 10 properties in 10 years or if it's even achievable and, and you know, that they may be able to get the actual outcomes that they want by just buying three. So it's a process of really – 
dissecting and, and formulating a plan that's going to be fit for their purpose because the last thing that you want to do is start pursuing an investment strategy where you end up just trapping yourself in an investment corner and trapping yourself in a job or a lifestyle that you may not like because you've leveraged yourself too high to try and accumulate so many properties. So, well, that's right. And I think what, what you sort of touched on with the low interest rates we have, they are likely to move. They have moved in some cases. So I think that long-termism is probably something a lot of people don't consider perhaps initially. Absolutely. Um, money's been cheap for quite a while now. So I, I think it's important from a budgeting perspective where uh, as Australians, we're very lifestyle focused and can at times be quite frivolous with, with our money. Having um, some structure or some regimented processes to, to manage that cash flow can um, put in some, some buffers in, into your own household accounting budget to make sure that you know you don't fall into those traps. No, I think that's sage advice. So, look, you know, a lot of people when they're looking to invest, they might buy apartments, for example, off the plan or, you know, in great locations, but they often have high strata fees. I know when we would, we've done our investment property strategy, we ended up buying, you know, freestanding house in a regional area and some townhouse investments just because of the strata factor. You know, the fees were going to make it not worth it because the rent's not, obviously not as high as Sydney or Melbourne or your capital cities. Generally speaking, like, do you have a preference? I mean, it's very hard, I guess, to kind of give off-the-cuff advice and we need to do the disclaimer that every situation is <laughs> different and we can't sort of hold you accountable if it doesn't work for individuals. Disclaimer, Amber, disclaimer. Yeah. yeah, very important. We've had, a, we've had another, another podcast about superannuation, the same thing. This is not <laughs> that you can take uh, as a kind of, you know, blanket advice. But, you know, generally speaking, what's your preference in terms of that, that strategy? I. Uh, Legitimately, it's a good question, and the best answer, albeit very vague, is that it just it really depends. If I was speaking with my banking hat on at the moment, banks are, are placing a postcode restrictions on um, particular areas. One being inner city apartments, small apartments under forty square meters, uh, for a lack of better description, do have a bit of a stink to them. I think you can't necessarily get finance, can you, around some of them? No, I don't know if that's true. It's very tight at the moment. And very few lenders are, are wanting to lend on that style of, of security. And there is a lot of stock in the market that is already available or is or is coming online from a completion perspective. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And along with regional areas, uh, there's some restrictions on that. But you know, re- regional areas are going to be really defined by the jobs that are available and also the infrastructure or public transport within those areas. So if I was looking to invest and uh, looking on behalf of my clients, they're probably the fundamental factors that that I would look at being, is it in a high job growth node area? Is there good employment opportunities or, or a good employment opportunities forecast based on infrastructure developments or, or new hospitals or schools or necessary public infrastructure investment that could give that capital growth a boost what's the transport like you know if i'm living an hour and a half outside of a sydney or melbourne or whatever you know is it feasible to actually commute on a daily basis and if i can't drive can i get a bus or yes can i get a train and and if those fundamentals stack up you know it's quite likely that that could be a, a good investment area i think with apartments at the moment particularly in the inner city markets of brisbane and and also melbourne you know there's um, a lot of talk out there that this uh, 
apartment volume is going to be the death of the property industry. It may not be the case, but there is certainly a, an oversupply, which will probably be absorbed in, in the coming years. But it's probably not an area that I would be looking at getting into at the moment. Yes. It's almost this two, it's almost like almost competing information we get. There's a housing affordability issue because of the yeah. supply, but then we're building all these apartments, which potentially I know in Melbourne, I have a lot of uh, connections in Melbourne. There's a lot of them sitting there empty apparently. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're not, they're not getting the people that they thought or they have bought them and it's just – you know, it's just not the, the desire perhaps for tenants to live in there. But it's interesting because there's a number of trends that are actually emerging within the property market, one of which is rent vesters, another is property accumulators in terms of, you know, individuals growing large property portfolios. Another is the, the, the fastest growing demographic within our society is actual social singles. So, more people are moving out of home at an earlier stage within their life and they're living on their own. They're not necessarily living with a partner or with friends. So the the stock that has been developed will will get taken up. It's just at the moment there's they've overshot the market, that's all. We just all need to catch up in our in our lifestyles perhaps. <laughs> I guess um, I remember when, you know, the property advisor that we had worked with five years ago had said the number one tip she had was, you know, don't just want to buy the, the glamour investment property. And I think that's great advice, which we followed. You know, we had a lot of perhaps our conservative parents saying, buy a one bedroom in Potts Point, you can't go wrong versus, you know, a four bedroom house in Newcastle. But we obviously were looking at the tax benefits, the sure. growth corridors, the other aspects as well. I mean, do you have a similar philosophy around investment? Investing? Yeah, I do. I call them boxes. Buy a box in in the fact that it's non-vanilla. It doesn't come with bells and whistles. There isn't lifts in the building, or there isn't pools, or tennis courts, or or facilities such as that because they all cost money to maintain. Yes, and at some point you're going to have to obviously help with that if you're going to hold on to the property for a period of time. Absolutely, and if you're Paying out money for you know maintenance costs, you may also have a period of vacancy in that property. You may have something else going on within your life. The hot water system could clap out as well. And you know, I, I think the best investments are you know boxes that are going to be good renters. So buy an investment property with the ideal tenant in mind. So if you're buying in a location, think of the individuals that that property is going to attract. And, and cater for that market. That's very good advice. Obviously, uh, having done this myself, it's sort of, you know, people tell you and then until you have the experience, you go, oh, that's why people have <laughs> I, I guess with, um, we're talking very much about Australia, but, you know, rent vesting overseas, is this is this something which has existed for a while and is it popular? Do you, do you have any idea around that? Oh, no, only from my own experiences and, and living, I guess, in, in the UK. I know in Europe, People have rented for for a long period of time. Their their rental laws are, are much different to, to what they are in Australia as well. People take long term leases on these properties and they upgrade kitchens and they polish the floors and they paint their apartments and and treat it as if it was their own. And the same within New York as well. Uh, the majority of the New York population does actually rent. Well, that's right. And I think a lot of the places are furnished, so it's obviously designed, you know, with longevity in mind in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. But I have to say, I, 
I've got my blinkers on, Amber, in terms of my expertise and, and knowledge is mainly in the domestic market. No, that's okay. I just thought I'd put it out there because I must admit, you know, it seems to be the home ownership thing is obviously something we grew up with, but I know a lot of friends overseas that, like you say, have rented for long periods and throughout their adult life and it hasn't sort of been an issue for them. I guess if we want to change tack a little bit, a lot of people sort of, you know, when they're older might get the benefits in, say, retirement of having investment properties that income producing, if you like. Do you sort of think about it in terms of it's part of a greater retirement wealth strategy where you might have a bit of super, a bit of this, a bit of that? I mean, I guess you can't put all your eggs in one basket. Absolutely. So rent vesting is renting and investing and it doesn't need to be a mutually exclusive decision. And what I mean by that is that you don't have to buy property. You go about growing the largest asset base that you can with with the money that you can actually afford. So if that means starting out and and kicking in a thousand dollars to set up a, a managed fund that you continue to make a monthly contribution to, well, that's just start of of which you grow to to leverage from, whether that's to buy more shares or use that as seed capital to, you know, kickstart your new entrepreneurial activity or or whether you use it for a down payment for an investment property or, or, or your own principal place of residence. I'm a firm believer in being a, a balanced investor. I've done well out of property myself and will continue to invest in property, but I also invest in my business and I also invest in the share market and I like to spread my my eggs around because you know investing does involve risk. Exactly, exactly. And you've worked in finance, so you know a little bit yeah. more than perhaps some of us about, you know, the, the pluses and the minuses of different asset classes really. Yeah, I think it's important to hedge your returns and albeit that property is a his, historically a very safe investment vehicle there are other asset classes that perform just as well. So I can't remember the exact numbers, but if you had invested, I I read read this in an article just yesterday, that if you had invested in Sydney property in 2005 or 2007 and you invested the same amount of money in CBA shares, you would both you would have achieved a two hundred percent return on either investment in that time. Wow. So you know there's stocks out there that are performing equally as well as what the the property market is. And I think that the best thing to do is just take a long term approach. Don't think that getting into a house or CBA shares or whatever it may be is is going to produce immediate results because you're the longer you're in a market, that the better off you're going to be. Yeah, exactly, riding those waves. Without getting sort of, you know, obviously too personal, you run us through your own property success story. You mentioned you do rent vest. I mean, did you start with the little one bedroom somewhere many years ago or how did you really kind of get motivated to become a rent vester? So I started off when I was in my early 20s and I was working at the time full time and saved a little bit of a deposit. And it was shortly after the first homeowners grant had actually been introduced after the Howard government had introduced the GST. And I bought a four bedroom house in Brisbane that was about eight kilometers away from the Brisbane CBD. And at the time I bought that place for $143,500. So. Uh, wow. You can't even get a car parking space in the inner city. I for know. That. So I guess. <laughs> 
I'm very fortunate to have been able to spend that time in the marketplace to to be in a good position as it is at the time, and and I don't I don't put that initial investment down to experience or know how. It was just suggested that that would probably be a a good thing to do, and I actually did a renovation project on that place and sold it. I made really good money on that. The next place that I bought had tenants in it at the time. And it continues to have tenants in it to this day. And uh, I use the equity in, in that property to, to buy other properties. And I've gone on to do small lot subdivisions. And now I, I focus on, on running the business and doing small developments on, on the side. Well, that sounds very interesting. It's interesting that you mentioned you sold that first property because, you know, I know some people's strategies, you never sell. You basically hold on and you just keep using the equity. Yeah. In hindsight, I would have been much better off in keeping that house because my debt on that house was quite low because I bought it for such a low price at the time. But by the time 18 months had passed and I had done the renovation and moved out and sold it, the rest of the market had also increased as well. So it wasn't because I did this amazing renovation. It was because the market was going through a, a strong capital growth period. So even though I walked away with a handsome sum of money, I, I put that deposit in a market that was accelerating and I would have probably been just better off keeping that original investment. But you know, that's hindsight. And I guess to say hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it sure um, is. But you sound like you've obviously done quite well in, in any case. Um, we're going to change tack a little bit as we wind up the interview. So I guess my, my theory is that, and from my own experience in business and in life, you never do this stuff on your own. There's always inspirational figures, whether they be family or business mentors, who you get ideas and inspiration from. Whether you can name them or not, it's up to you. But uh, is there anyone that sort of comes to mind that's really – their philosophy and their outlook has kind of shaped your own. Uh, yeah, there is one individual and I refer to him as Uncle Colin. He's not my uncle, but Colin was uh, someone that I was introduced to in, in my mid-20s and he had a huge influence on my life. Just from a, a mentoring and a coaching perspective, I, I had the opportunity to spend a, a couple of hours on a Friday afternoon with Colin for a period of time there and um, it was the part of the week that uh, I most look forward to and he was a guy that at the time he was my dad's age and a completely different person and, and gave a completely different perspective on where I was as an individual and and where I, I wanted to, to actually be. And, you know, just to really go out and, and pursue what you love to do in order to create the life that you would actually love to have. So he was a, a very good mentor to me and, and someone that uh, I've learned some good things off. And, and to this day, I still actively seek out people that inspire me and 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 stretch me both personally and and professionally excellent advice so just as we wrap up um if you want to give the listeners maybe two or three top tips about the politics of rent vesting what would they be well one rent vest so <laughs> question the traditional it, right? <laughs> just do it yeah question the traditional home ownership model i know it's been indoctrinated and i know that you've been brought up to believe that this is the best route but what worked for one generation doesn't necessarily work for the next so start investigating alternative strategies and and like i said it doesn't need to be mutually exclusive to property invest in yourself invest in a business you know invest in an idea or invest in shares and go about creating a life that's out of colin's book that you would want to live the second tip Automate everything in. Oh, in that's interesting. I, was, I wasn't expecting that to be it. For your financial decisions that you have to make. 
And it goes back to a previous point that we discussed around your, your household accounting. People aren't good budgeters. It's plain and simple. People don't like budgeting. But if you can set up a process where you automate the money that comes into the house and, and separate it into four or five different pots so you know that you've got your expenses taken care for because you've allocated that portion, you know you've got a portion for your walking around money and you've got a savings pot for a short-term goal and which might be a holiday or something and, and you've got a savings pot for a longer-term goal which might be for investing or for a house deposit and then it kind of removes the decisions that you have to make within your life because you know that the the money side of things is is taken care for and you can just go about your, your life i think that has been one lesson that has been very good for me and lastly it's probably just broaden the perspective of of what um, investing could actually mean for you so you know property is a great thing to get into but like I said, you could um, have an entrepreneurial spirit and, and want to start a business. And, you know, if you do really well, I'm sure that can allow you to buy those 10 properties in 10 years. So, well, that sounds like awesome planning. Yeah, have, dream big, I say. Well, why not? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's been wonderful to uh, pick your brain this afternoon. Um, look, if you are interested to contact Peter, we will have some contact details on our show notes. You've been listening to The Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes. Until next time. Be well. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, we thrive on feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network and your friends and family. I'm also always on the hunt for fabulous new guests. So if you've got a view to share and an idea how to get our listeners excited, please email me at amber at bespoke comms, that's B-E-S-P-O-K-E-C-O-M-M-S.com.au and we'll be sure to get back to you. Until next time.